A few years ago, I was working for a carpenter uh, when I was in high school, and uh, he gave me, um, he cut a board, approximately 16 inches, and uh, he wanted 20 of these. And I thought, okay, that's great. So he gave me that, he says, just lay it on top of the two by four, draw a line, cut it, and then set that aside, take the one I just gave you with the X on it, and use that, put it on the board, draw a line, cut it. Well, I did that a few times, and uh, I came to the realization it was a lot easier just to take the board that I just cut and use that and put that on top of the two by four. And a lot of you know where this is going. So after you know cutting uh, 16 boards, losing a 60 or 32nd of an inch after each board, we're a half an inch shorter than the original. What a mess that was. Um, I was using the wrong standard, a standard that I had created and it turned out to be a disaster. But here's the point, when we measure our words and our conduct by anything other than the perfect word of God, uh, we're going to come up short every time. Over the past few weeks, we've been studying our Lord's matchless speech, uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount. There's never been a, a sermon preached like this one because there's never been a preacher like Jesus. As one Bible teacher said, this sermon finds us all somehow and somewhere. Today, we'll see what splinters, logs, dogs, and hogs have in common. So if you haven't already turned to Matthew 7, why don't you do that? Matthew 7, 1 says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. To be perfectly honest, I believe that this passage has been misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied more than most in the Bible. You could almost say that it's one of the most favorite passages and almost uh, most quoted verse in all the Bible. This is especially true today when so many people wish to justify their actions and insulate themselves from accountability of their behavior. Such people love to quote this passage in order to project themselves or, or protect themselves from criticism, although they misuse it when they do so. In this passage, we find four challenges. First of all, don't judge others. Reasons not to judge, the solution to judging and making proper judgments. My big idea this morning is Christ fathers are not to judge hypocritically or self-righteously, but instead uh, our judgment needs to be based on truth and grace. So first of all, don't judge others. Verse 1 states, judge not that you will not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Jesus begins this passage with a bold statement, judge not. <laughs> it's like, okay. How do we do that? How, there must be, uh, how do we answer this question? What does it mean when Jesus says, judge not? The Greek word for judge means to separate, to distinguish, to come to a choice, make a decision either positive or negative. So if we apply this definition to the phrase judge not without looking at the context which is given, um, we would be at a total standstill in our life, absolutely. And nothing would ever get done, right? How many times of a day do we make a choice? How many times in a day do we make a decision? And so obviously there's something else going on here. As we seek to look at this answer or find an answer, or really any answer or question that we're looking at in Scripture, you, uh, we need to apply some really good Bible interpretation methods. Namely, look at the context in which the verse or verses is given. And uh, secondly, look at the whole Bible to see what it says about the topic you know, use scripture to support scripture, compare scripture with scripture. 
So as we unwrap this topic of judging, I'd like to suggest there's, there's two types of judgment. There is unhealthy judgment and there is healthy judgment. And this passage deals with both. Let's begin with the unhealthy judgment. What are the, some characteristics of unhealthy judgment? Well, fault finding, prideful, condemning, self-righteous, unforgiving, and contentious. In the way, in, in the way of uh, background, remember that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us how to really live as followers of God the Father. And one of the warnings he gives repeatedly is to avoid hypocrisy. And he uses the example of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day. Now, a hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction to what his or her stated beliefs or teachings are, or feelings. And the Pharisees were great hypocrites. <laughs> they were proud, uh, they were self-righteous, they were smug, fault-finding, and so convinced of their own superiority. And the natural result of that was they became totally condemning and judgmental of everyone else. They were unmerciful, they were unforgiving, and they were unkind. They lacked grace in their constant criticism of everyone who did not meet their stated position or stated standards. Standards, by the way, which they didn't keep for themselves. And in the context of all of this, Jesus states, judge not that you be not judged. Now, there are many people who, miss, who have misunderstood uh, this passage. They will say, well, we should never criticize. We should never condemn anyone for anything. And we should never evaluate anything at all. Well, the judgment that Jesus says is to avoid is out of an attitude of really about pride and self-righteousness. We are not to look at other people's words. We are not to look at other people's words with an attitude of arrogance and condemnation. So Jesus is saying that our approach to judgment is a matter of the heart, really how we come into it. We are to approach an issue, how we approach an issue makes all the difference in the world. Our attitude plays a big part in all of this. We can approach people with an attitude of pride and superiority, or we can approach them in humility and with the understanding that we all struggle, right? We all struggle from time to time. And Jesus is not condemning all judgment. He is stating our judgment must be fair. It must be full of grace and truth. In verse 2, we see, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is a very sobering statement, uh, and if understood, will change the way we approach other people. Uh, you see, remember the context. Jesus is addressing, is addressing hypocrisy, especially as it relates to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And so the Pharisees were masters at living by two standards, one for themselves and one for everyone else. And they were judging and they were nitpicking uh, others as it related to their behavior and expecting others to live at a higher level than they had for themselves. In verse 2, in the New Living Translation, um, it says, For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. Now, Jesus is basically saying here, whatever standard you are using with others, God will be expecting the same out of you. See, God is the final judge, and he will be judging us based on what we say and do. God has a realistic expectation, a realistic expectation as it relates to your behavior and my behavior. He knows that we're not always going to be on the top of our game. And with that said, and, and we may say and do things that are out of line uh, with God's word and out of character for us. 
He understands that. He understands that we're going to respond inappropriately at times and even be mad at him. God knows all that. He knows all that. In Psalms 103, 14, one of my favorite verses, for God knows your frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. Not a great verse, isn't it? We know, he knows we are frail. He knows that we are vulnerable at times. He knows we are fallible and will say and do things that are not befitting of kingdom citizens. And God is gracious, and he's compassionate, and he's forgiving, and he's gentle with us. But when we come down hard on others and judge them unfairly, God takes notice. Every time you sit in judgment of someone, every time you criticize their motives, every time you think you... Um, You've made an, or you make it an evaluation on someone else, you might be playing God. And Jesus states here, the standard you are expecting of others will now be applied to you. You see, God is going to evaluate you on the basis of your knowledge, your, your light. You say, all right, well, I know enough to judge all the people on this. Then you prove you know enough to be judged on it yourself, right? I mean, if you're the person who goes, who's going to be going... Um, if you're the person who's going to be able to judge everyone else at a certain level, then you prove that you know enough to be judged by that same standard. That's why the Bible says, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. And that's really what he's saying here. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. James uh, 3.1 states, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why is that? Well, because the one who stands up and teaching is the one who gives evidence of knowing. And what we are knowing will be judged on. And for the more we know, the severer the judgment. <laughs> now I read that, and I'm kind of shaking in my boots a little bit, because I've been in ministry 34 years. I've said a lot of things in the pulpit. I've said a lot of things in front of groups. I'm accountable for that. And so as I share these things from Scripture, I'm, I'm accountable, and that's pretty sobering. My friend, we have been extending incredible incredible grace and forgiveness by God our Father, and we need to extend that grace to others, right? We must be careful and thoughtful in our relationships, being fair and having realistic expectations. Expectation gets us in trouble, don't they? It's one of the things that's one of the biggest struggles we have in relationship is expecting too much of someone else. But, you know, a fair expectation is not bad. You have expectations in marriage. You have expectations with your children. You have expectations in the workplace. Those are not bad. But keep them realistic and understand that you cannot expect from someone more than you're willing to put out yourself. This raises another point in regards to expectations. Keep them fair. Keep your expectations fair. You may have a really high expectation for yourself. Be careful not to unfairly impose that on others. God has fair expectations for us. When we judge others unfairly, God judges us accordingly. Now, we've all been part of a gathering where the conversation goes negative, right? You know, instead of providing support, instead of providing encouragement, it turns and goes in another direction with people finding faults. Things are said like, well, they should have done this, or he should have said that. Some people are masters at looking at the shortcomings of others and making sure everyone knows about it. Well, how helpful is that? <laughs> how does this advance the kingdom of God? How does that bring people together? Or you and I have the issue, with, if we have an issue with someone, we, 
go to talk to them. That's biblical. And one of the most hurtful and discouraging things as a pastor that you can hear is a statement like, well, there's a group of people who have a problem with. I've been in ministry, this is my eighth church, and I'll tell you what, every church I've heard that, and it just cuts to the core of who you are. It just goes to the heart, you know, it's like a gut punch. It's like there's a group of people that have an issue with that. It just takes the wind out of your sail when you know there's a group of people who have an issue with something. You know issues will arise, that's just part of being a family together. You know that stuff happens, but in this case, you don't know who the people are, and you're really not sure what the issues are, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? There are no names or faces, just a random group of people who are talking among themselves about something they have a problem with, and you have not been brought into the conversation. My friends, if there's an issue, set up a time and talk about it. We assume we know people's motives for saying and doing certain things. We don't. We're just guessing most of the time. And remember, most conversations or most of the controversy comes from Satan. You know, Satan's at the core of this. Ephesians 6, we fight not against flesh and blood. Satan wants the church divided. Satan wants to destroy God's church, and his greatest tool is that of disunity. That is why Jesus said in John 17, and he prayed that the church would be unified. Sowing discord in God's church among God's bride it's a dangerous thing to do. One author put it this way, if you're negative, gossipy, telltaling, critical, judgmental, you're under the false illusion that you're exempt from judgment. For whatever you condemn in someone else, you prove that you should be accountable for that in your own life by virtue of such knowledge. Criticism, criticism becomes a boomerang. You throw it out, and it comes right back to you. Well, that's a, those are some powerful and sobering words. God deals with unhealthy judgment head on. And Jesus is saying here, take notice. Take notice. The expectation and judgment you have for what people say and do is now expected on you, of you. And in summary, Jesus is not saying we cannot judge. He's just saying, judge fairly. Judge graciously. Let's move on to healthy judgment. Characteristics of healthy judgment would be love and grace and humility and restoration and truth and discernment. The Bible is full of instruction on how to make healthy judgments with two goals in mind, two goals, restoration and discerning truth and error. Restoration, the, one, the number one goal in our interaction with others is that we have restoration. God calls, uh, calls us to come alongside each other and build one another up in their faith and their walk, you know, their walk with Christ. And in order to do that well, we may be challenged, we need to challenge each other in regards to the things that are said and the things that are done. Sometimes we need to come alongside somebody and say, you know what, I see this, this attitude or this behavior, and I just want to bring it to your attention, but I want to do it in a gracious sort of way. In other words, if someone we are loving is heading in the wrong direction, we seek to come alongside them and help redirect them. As parents, we do this all the time as we raise our children. In order to correct and come alongside a friend living in a, with a sinful attitude, we need to know scriptures, and we need to be bold enough and loving enough to go after it and to share it. 
See, the Bible is full of scripture that deals with this issue of confronting another in love. In Galatians 6.1, it says, My brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. But be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Also in Ephesians 4.15, instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You see, healthy judgment brings about restoration. That's a good thing. In Leviticus 19.17, it says, Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held, so you will not be held guilty for their sin. In other words, if it is more loving to confront and to challenge a fellow believer than just to say nothing. If so, you know, we, if you see sin, so you are to, it is more loving to seek repentance and restoration in that person. It's more loving. It, um, it is love that confronts. It is hate that ignores a fault and a sin and lets a person go on that path. Jesus is a great model for this. Incredible model. He was constantly evaluating, constantly judging, and constantly challenging people. Why? Because he loved them enough to say the really hard things. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor at a church, um, I had an opportunity. Well, I always have opportunities to deal with stuff, but one of those opportunities is one of, our, one of the guys in the youth group was sleeping with some girls in the youth group. Not a good thing, okay? And when I got wind of it, I went directly to him, and that uh, was hard. It was difficult. I set up a time, met him at his house, and I said, um, I said, Ben, I said, you know, the things that you're doing are not good. And with tears in my eyes, I just dealt with it. I said, this isn't helpful. This isn't right. God's not honored. This is going to backfire on you. This is not a great thing. It goes against what God teaches. And in all humility, I came before Ben, and I said, Ben, this has got to you got to stop, and we need to get some accountability here. And I said, when your mom comes home, I'd like you to share that with her. And when he, her mom came home, he did. He shared it with her. And, you know, I didn't know what kind of impact that had on his life until several years later, I was at a restaurant in the same area that I was, had been a youth pastor. And Ben approached the table, and he said, he said, Jake, that was my name at the time. Jake, he says, you know, that whole confrontation changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life because you did something that no one else is willing to do. You confronted me with something that I needed to hear. And thank you. Thank you for that. And I, I'll never forget that. Not all confrontations have gone that well, but that one was a good one. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad I did it. But we must judge. We must evaluate. But we must be careful not to make hasty judgment with limited information. We need to be careful that our opinion and our preferences don't take place of biblical mandates. That's a big issue today. We all have preferences about music, about style, about paint colors, about everything. Just make sure that your preferences don't, uh, biblical mandates rule the day. It really is very important. We're not to set up some human standard. The Bible is our guide. And if you feel led to approach someone, you need to be sure you're doing it with the right attitude and with the goal of restoration. Healthy judgment is based on godly accountability towards fellow Christians. In Matthew 18, verses 16 or 15 to 17, we're told to lovingly confront a sinning brother or sister. That, too, involves a degree of discernment. 
and care as we seek to restore a brother or sister in the Lord who is in a bad spot. There is a process. First of all, you go one-on-one, face-to-face. Um, if the person listens and redirects things, the process is over. If there's still resistance to doing what is right, you carefully bring others into the conversation. If there's still no change of heart, you take it to the next level with a greater degree of accountability. And the point I'm making here is careful judgment needs to be applied as we come alongside others who need to make a course change. You know, it's by far the most loving thing we can do. It really is. And the whole process of confronting someone who is sinning is that of restoration, not fault-finding, not shame. And the sad thing is this confronting others rarely happens, rarely happens on a personal level, and it's almost unheard of on a church level. Why? Because it's risky, it's messy, it's hard to do, but my friends, it's biblical. Another type of healthy judgment deals with truth and error. Throughout the Bible, we're commanded, commanded to discern and judge between what is good and what is evil and what is true and what is false. We must discern, we must discriminate, we must evaluate, and there are things we must judge. Many people look, uh, will look at the teachings of the Bible and the doctrines and the theology uh, as something Christians use as kind of a, a license to judge others. Some will say that doctrine divides us, and you know, certainly that is true to some extent. That's why we have so many different denominations out there, but the reality is this. The positive side of doctrine is it actually unites us. It brings us together, and it allows us to come together under a common set of biblical principles and doctrines and beliefs. Our doctrinal statement and distinctives at Living Hope Bible Church help define who we are and where we stand on very important issues. And it allows us to move in the same direction. Now, having said that, the Bible tells us as believers that we must discern. We must discern. We must discern what is right. And we must know the truth. We must know the truth from error. And the whole Sermon on the Mount is based on a clear understanding of the distinction between true religion and false religion, between hypocrisy and, between a re- and, and reality. And, and we need to discern. We need to judge. We need to be discriminating. For example, look at verse 6. It says, do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before the pigs. In order to follow this exhortation, we need to judge and discern who and what Jesus is talking about here. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In order to know who the false prophets are, we need to discern. We need to judge people based on their actions and words and beliefs. And so in this very passage, we are told to test, we are told to discriminate, and we are told to evaluate between the true and the false. We live in a time when many people just seem to hate theology. Our time hates dogma. Our time resists doctrine. Our time doesn't like conviction. People speak about love and acceptance. Um, They speak about compromise. But when someone talks about doctrine, or moral principles, or convictions. They're categorized as out of touch, or even a detriment to society. 
we can find over 100 scripture passages in the Bible that deal with false doctrine. Look at the two scripture passages I have. Romans 16 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such people do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And also 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do you test the spirits without some sort of filter? How do you test the spirits without some sort of discernment? We need to judge. We need to judge. I'd like to touch on the subject of truth versus love. We need truth and love. We need them both. We really do in the church and in our, our personal life. But when we um, what we are seeing right now is the pendulum is kind of swinging to the one side of love and truth is being left behind. We hear this a lot. The church needs to be more loving. Well, no doubt the church needs to be more loving. It can always be more loving, but not at the expense of truth. Not at the expense of truth. People have different definitions of what love really is. We need to speak the truth in love, but we still need to speak the truth, right? The Bible teaches us to speak the truth in love. Why? Because Untruth, what I would argue, is unloving. I would suggest that we can be loving and truthful at the same time. We need to speak in tones of love, not tones of law. Think about that for a second. You can share any scripture passages with tones of condemnation. You know, you're wrong. This is what you need to do. I had a pastor years ago that spoke on the topic of uh, the, the prodigal son, and my neighbor was there that Sunday, and I was so glad that he'd made it to church. And he talked about the pig, you know, the, the, the prodigal son that lived with the pigs, that dirty, rotten pig because he was smoking and drinking. It's like, oh, my goodness. I didn't know how, you know, it's like, wow, you know, you could have, that's not how I would present that passage. I would present it to, we have a gracious father and how he takes us back, but instead he just kind of took it as an opportunity to just kind of just drill in, yeah, you're a sinful person, you're living with the pigs and you're smoking and drinking and oh my goodness. Anyway, you can say almost anything with tones of love or tones of law. Does that make sense? I think it's just such a good, good thought. I mean, um, when we go to the doctor, I expect him to tell me the truth. You know, when I go to the I want him to tell me the truth, what's going on. I would hope that he would do it in a caring, empathetic way, but who cares how loving the doctor is if he gives you the wrong diagnosis and the wrong medicine? The most important thing is a truthful diagnosis and an accurate prescription shared in a loving way. And uh, the reason I share this is there's a temptation to preserve a relationship at the expense of truth. There's a temptation to preserve a relationship at the expense of truth. Some will ignore what they know to be right just to keep a relationship in place. Some believers will jettison truth just to keep peace with a family member or with someone at work or school. But truth needs to be shared, but it needs to be shared very lovingly and caringly. Colossians 4, 6, we read, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Next, we see that Jesus gives us this fantastic illustration to clarify what he's talking about, the reasons not to judge. Look at verse uh, 3. Why do we see the speck? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your eye? So this illustration, I think, is good. Go ahead and put that up there. I think I got it on there. Is there? There it is. Okay. 
So we got this guy with a speck in his eye or a sliver and a splinter, and this other guy's got this two by four sticking out of his eye, and the one is just coming really down hard on the other guy. But this illustration, we have two individuals and they have sin in their life. Now, people would argue back and forth what the splinter is and what the plank is, and, and uh, some have argued that the splinter is just some kind of small little sin and that the log is this massive, vile, you know, horrendous sin. And uh, well, sin is sin. And the splinter and the plank are both sin. Is one sin worse than another? That's not the focus here. Um, Jesus uses this exaggeration to bring home the truth that people are often blind to their own faults while keenly focused on the weaknesses of others. Our natural tendency is to see shortcomings in others and be judgmental of their sin while ignoring or minimizing or excusing our own issues, our own sin. When the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, he confronted the same issue by telling the scribes and the Pharisees, let him who is without sin among you be the first one to cast a stone. Well, Jesus wasn't excusing the woman's sin, but instead pointing out the need for consistency, honesty, and humility when passing judgment. If we are not willing to evaluate ourselves honestly and accurately, we undermine our right to scrutinize others. Let me read that again. If we're not willing to evaluate ourselves honestly and accurately, we undermine our right to scrutinize the lives of others. The bottom line is that we have, we're just not that good at judging, <laughs> okay? Even though we've been given this freedom to discern what is right and wrong and confront a brother in sin, even though the scriptures are clear on our need to discern and to judge, we're just not that good at it sometimes. And uh, the danger here is just having different standards, you know, one for ourselves and one for another person. The danger um, is discerning poorly. And that's where you just come to Scripture. Look at Scripture. Pray about these things. Verse 5 says, uh, is a solution. You hypocrites, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And sadly, Christ's instruction to take the plank out of your own eye is often misunderstood. It's kind of a, a general prohibition against... Uh, against all judgment. You know, you cannot, uh, you can't look at the fact that Jesus, um, we can't overlook the fact that Jesus said both the speck and the plank need to be removed. But before we can help a brother or sister into that path, before we can remove the speck from another person's eye, we must first deal with our own stuff. And uh, does that mean that we have to have everything together uh, in our life before we confront someone else? No. If that were true, no one would ever be confronted, ever, ever, ever. But it does mean that we can come into those opportunities with a humble heart, saying, well, hey, you know, I struggle too. Um, and if and in, order for, in order to live a life, you know, that is pleasing to the Lord, we need to get a handle on a few things, my friend. And let's do it together. Now, I know I have been judgmental and at times. I know I have been overly critical. I know I have expected more of others than I was willing to do myself. I know that. I know that. I'm working on that. I have come into conversations with the wrong attitude that has not been helpful, uh, that have not been Christ-like. Knowing that, now, knowing that does not stop me from challenging others in their Christian walk. No, but I can tell you I go into it with a totally different attitude. An attitude that says I've messed up too. And I have experienced God's grace, and I have experienced his forgiveness, 
and I've experienced that, and we can move forward together. You don't have to be perfect to confront a brother or sister in the Lord. You don't have to be perfect to deal with these things. We all have issues. We all struggle from time to time. We all have things that we wish we could undo. Um, does that make us exempt from challenging anyone else? No. It's just that it changes the way we approach people because we realize our fallenness. We realize our sinfulness. We realize we've messed up. So what is the solution? Uh, look at yourself before you look at others. First remove the log from your, eye, your own eye, then you'll see clearly to address the speck in your brother's eye. I would suggest that our level of discernment raises to a, another level when we first remove our log. By removing the log, we can better understand and address people's needs. Jesus is calling us to look at ourselves. Uh, we must look at our own sin. We must look at our own hearts. We must judge ourselves. There's something about dealing with our own issues first that humbles us as we seek to deal and relate to others. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying don't judge, don't discriminate, don't approach. He's just saying, look at your own stuff. You've got some issues you've got to work with. Work through the issues. And you're going to better see what other people are dealing with, and you're going to be far more empathetic coming into it. Take the plank out of your own eye before, so, um, so that you can see clearly, so that we can judge properly, so that we can be empathetic and understanding. Removing the log changes us. It changes me. We go into a situation so differently with grace and love. And when we see our desperate need for forgiveness and grace and change, we deal with others so differently when we deal with the logs in our own eye. Verse 6 goes on to say, deals with another type of judgment, that of discernment. It says, don't give the dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, Jesus is a master, in a masterful way, gives an illustration that carries such a valuable truth. Pigs were counted as unclean, according to the law of Moses, and dogs were wild and nasty savages who roamed the countryside and ate out of city dumps. Never find them on someone's lap or paying $1,400 for one. That just wouldn't happen. <laughs> they, were, they were scavengers. People just didn't have them as house pets, but we've, everything's kind of changed. But in this illustration, hogs and dogs are satisfied with scraps of food. They can't discern what's valuable or priceless. They don't care. The pearls in this passage describe the precious word of God, and the use of dogs and hogs is not intended as a, a label to someone. Well, you're a hog, you're a dog, you know, because you don't accept God's word. That's not the point here. It's more of a characteriz or characterization about people in regards to how they treat the word of God and the gospel message. Dogs and hogs is described as a kind of a spiritual condition. They do not appreciate the message. They are antagonistic to the gospel. They're not responding to it. We all know people like this, right? We all know people. They're not interested in what the Bible says, and they repeatedly reject the gospel message. So Jesus is simply saying, if you run into someone who has no respect for the gospel and God's word, be careful how often and how much you share the word of God with them how much you feed them. This is not saying if someone rejects what you have to say from the Bible that you have nothing to do with them and, and uh, from that point on. Jesus is saying you must be discerning. Don't keep sharing the word with someone who rejects it. They'll be like throwing pearls to the swine. They see no value. They don't appreciate it. And they'll just stomp on it and disrespect it. Be discerning with who and how much you share God's word. I think appropriate illustration matching this 
uh, Jesus is saying here is don't take your children to Ruth Chris Steakhouse because they're not going to appreciate it. When you're paying 40 to 80 bucks for a steak dinner, take them to McDonald's, okay? They're totally satisfied with that. They don't appreciate the, the value of a nice, juicy steak. That sounds so good, doesn't it? Um, but this verse gives some great instruction. We see in Proverbs 23.9, it says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for they will despise your words. At some point, we need to make a determination um, of our efforts to share God's word, whether they're fruitful or whether they're not. Jesus gave instruction to his disciples before their missionary journeys. Remember what he said? He said, some towns, some towns are going to receive your message. Others are not. If they don't receive your message, move on. Be discerning. Don't spend too much time in a town that rejects God's message. Leave and go somewhere else. In closing, Jesus has set a precedent and given us instructions for proclaiming God's truth and doing so with a discernment and discretion. But it's so filled with grace. It's so filled with love. And that's the tone here. I'm going to leave you with one verse, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. My friends, a world, we have a world that is looking for something. And if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have that hope. You have a message. You may not be able to articulate it that great. You may not know all the scripture passages and everything, but you, no one can argue with your testimony. No one can say, well, God didn't do that in your life. Oh, yes, he did. I have a hope, and it's based on the fact that I was a mess, and God came into my life and saved me. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do so. I beg of you to do so, because life will change dramatically. I'm not saying it's going to be free of errors or problems or difficulties. I'm just saying you're going to have someone to go through it with. He's going to come alongside us. Coming to Christ is the best decision I ever made in my life. Never regret it. Never, ever regret it. Would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious Father, thank you that you're in control. Thank you that we can approach these issues from a healthy, gracious, biblical perspective, knowing that we do need to stand for truth, but we need to do it graciously. We do need to come alongside our brothers and sisters who are on a wrong path, but we do it with humility, understanding we've messed up. We've had difficulty. We've had logs. We've had things in our life that are not, we're not pleased with. It changes the way we approach others. Father, give us boldness. Help us to use your word as that guiding light. Thank you, Father, providing for us, giving this opportunity. We live in a world of so, that's so hopeless in many respects. And we have hope. We have the hope that lives within us. Help us to be sharing that with others. We don't have to come with this fine-tuned presentation. Just share, this is what God's done in my life. This is where I was. This is how he's changed me, and this is where I've gone from here. This is where my, my decision to trust him has, has resulted in this. Father, give us boldness. Give us the words. Give us opportunities. Thank you, Father, for a chance to gather together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.